Alright, alright, quieten down now. Live from the Britain Yankee Pub Studios. Another Britain Yankee Craft Beer Pubcast. I can hear the pints being pulled right now. Take it away, lad. You are paying for that beer, aren't you? Pump up the bitter. Pump up the bitter. Hello and welcome to Pubcast number 319 and this week we've got something a little bit different. In fact, everybody except for me are on the phone. Well, I guess I'm on the phone, but I'm actually down in the Britain Yankee Pub Studios. My co-host for this show is Ken Mullen, who is live from Darkest Naperville. Hey, Ken. <laughs> Hello, Phil. And uh, I'm very, very excited because on the line with me are two mem- two-thirds of one of the best beer journals online, The Hop Review. And if you don't know what The Hop Review is, then you need to go and subscribe to them. That is www.thehopreview.com. And many of you might know them because they do the the annual Chicago brewery bracket, paralleling the March Madness brackets. And that's where they put up Chicago breweries uh, against one another for the popular vote to see who is a champion brewery. But I personally um, find some of their interviews and where they go and and how they get these darn interviews to be quite fascinating. I look forward to their monthly beer reviews, which are basically short, spot on, uh, with a bottom line, summing up beers that they're sent for tasting. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce to you on the line live from Grand Rapids, Michigan, Mr. Tom White. Oh, hello. Hey, how he felt, you doing? That was a creaky chair, Tom. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. I was. Uh, my, I live in a 100-year-old house now, so i am uh, got a little bit of a creak to it. Cool. And then live from the north side of Chicago, we have Mr. Jack Muldowney. Is that how I pronounce your name? Yes, Muldowney, yep. Excellent. And welcome to the show, Jack and Tom. Now, who is the one-third that is missing? That is our pal Nick, who uh, has... For, I'm going to say a year, year and a half now, moved uh, back to Detroit. So now two thirds in Michigan, and then I'm uh, I'm the lone <clears throat> lone Chicagoan now at this point. Well, I'm glad you're still here. <laughs> Is he drinking uh, Stroh's? <laughs> Probably, I wouldn't put it past them. Detroit River Water. Um, one of the, <laughs> one of the uh, the other exciting things, Tom, about you is that um, well, two exciting things. Number one, I've got another expat Brit on the line with me. I think I'm correct in saying that, right? Yeah, I've uh, I've been here, been in the U.S. for for quite a while now. But yeah, definitely, um, definitely spent my my younger years, distant younger years, in in the U.K. and England and and mostly in Wales. So you were mostly in the Wales, the Welsh area. When did you come over here? Because I have to say, you have lost your accent. In uh, in the late nineties. So I, if you remember your your teenage years, it wasn't fun to sound different. So I remember <laughs> trying to to lose the accent back then, and then uh, yeah, ne- there was no going back after that. I, I've been here for a long time, of course. Now though. 
Yeah, I've been here since 1980, so I got your beat on that one. I was a little bit older when I came over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the other the other thing that um, is really exciting is that you're the first certified Cicerone that we have had on the show. So. <laughs> Welcome oh, and congratulations. Wow. I'm honored. <laughs> yeah, well, we're honored, actually. But uh, <laughs> uh, so we've got a couple of milestones here. And um, I guess, first of all, I'd like to find out from you guys, um, maybe Jack, what exactly is the hot review and how the hell do you get all these wonderful brewing stars to chat with you? Oh, gosh. Um, luck. I think a lot of it is has been good fortune um, as far as getting some of these people to, to let us uh, steal some of their time and talk beer with us. Uh, but that we do a lot of that still. And I think that's because that was kind of the, the impetus of what started this all. Um, Tom and I were home brewers a long time ago now. And at least I personally didn't, I wasn't intrigued enough in the home brewing to kind of to keep at it. So we, Sort of, sort of took a, a right turn and tried to leverage what we were already interested in beer, and just decided to start talking to some of the people that were actually pretty good at brewing. And it's kind of spawned into um, what you see as the hop review now, plus a lot of travel, beer reviews, as you mentioned. Um, we do events, kind of whole smattering of stuff. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit at the, uh, later on about your event that's coming up, your Ultra Fresh Fresh Beer Festival. Mm-hmm. When did you start this little uh, little blog? I'm going to say blog, but it's more than a blog. This is a full-fledged website with lots of great information on it. Thank you. Yeah, we started in 2012, I believe. Was that right, Tom? Yeah, sounds right. It, it was. It was definitely a you know, with the pace changed over time. So, you know, as Jack said, it started as more of just a, a hobby sort of, uh, in our free time documenting homebrew, as he said, but then, you know, over time it, it feels like we, we, we were so much busier, you know, two years into it than we were at the beginning, obviously, once we started, you know, really figuring out what we wanted the site to be and what we wanted it to look like. This is what you do for a living, right? Full time. Not like me who has to go and do work for the man. No, I wish. No, no. Yeah, no, we, we, this is a very much a, you know, a, a, a project for us that we, that we fill many, many hours of our free time with. So, um, I'll, I'll let Jack speak to him, but, but I actually work for a brewery, uh, in Ontario, um, called Collective Arts. Um, I'm the Midwest sales manager for, for the brewery. So that takes up a significant portion of my, my free time, um, of course. And then, uh, Oh, Jack, do you want to give yourself a little? Yeah, I, uh, I have a small small design studio that um, acts as the Hopper Views home base as well in Westtown. Um, and pretty fortunately located next to several breweries. If you, I'm sure you know where Guzan Fulton is and Great Central. We're um, just two blocks west of there at Damon. So um, I do graphic design out of there. And uh, it's crossed over a lot into the beer world, which has been which has been a fun, fun opportunity. Um, and I can take that review for, for some of that as well. So how many people do you have subscribing? Because you do um, a newsletter on a weekly basis, right? We tr- Yeah, we try to keep it weekly. We, we miss some here and there. But um, I think last time I looked, it's somewhere around 9,000 or 10,000. Yeah, just the newsletter. Uh, 
I was just looking at it today. It's uh, just over just over nine thousand, which is uh, you know a combination of the vast majority of people are people who just signed up, but also you know some people who have visited our visited us at events and and you know bought tickets to our events. But the the, the vast majority of it is people who have just kind of been nice enough to you know subscribe to us through the through the link on the site. Um, that sounds really um, <laughs> big compared to our little podcast, which has been going since 2007, but we didn't really turn our uh, hand to doing craft beer until the boom, um, probably 2010, a little bit on from that. And Jack, I, you were in reading the notes on your website, which may be out of date now, but you were on a panel for USA Today that selected the best new brewer of the year, and that was Barrel Theory Beer Brew Com- Beer Company in St. Paul. I guess I've never heard of them. That doesn't mean to say that that's, <laughs> that's a bad thing. But do you know? Do you have a follow-up? Do you know how they're doing now? I, other than what I've heard, I, I haven't had the fortune of getting back to St. Paul since... Uh, we included them in that list and and we were i mean my name is on there but it, it was a combined effort of you know the three of us submitting what we thought were some of our best picks for the different categories as well as a, a handful of other beer industry folks that submit theirs so then usa today kind of takes those and whittles them down so um i was i was glad to see that that one was actually one that i've been to but i can't say how they're doing Currently, I'm sure they're doing well. Yeah, hopefully they are. <laughs> are you guys? Are you guys still homebrewing at all? Ooh, no. It's been a, it's been a while. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I don't think you'd want to be. You, you wouldn't be too impressed, especially as a brewer yourself. I, I don't think you're really missing out on too much with not not drinking our homebrew. But we did have fun while we did it. Uh, just not something I you know I'm doing right now. So Tom, um, you've been a beer writer for. Orbit's travel blog is that right? And I think you did. You picked one of the best brewery tours was Omagang, which is where I'm hoping to head out to. Uh, what's the story behind that? And do you know anything about Omagang? Uh, actually, uh, Jack is definitely your expert on that. That that's quite the blast from the past there. So I actually used to work for Orbit's. That's uh, that was one of my uh, two jobs that I did between when I graduated from uh, college and then you know left that industry. Um, I work for Orbitz, which is, of course, headquartered in in Chicago, in downtown Chicago. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, they asked me to to write for their travel blog, and you know, I, I got got a bunch of the info together, and I, I put together info for breweries that I had been to, as well as other ones that uh, that were recommended to me. But I'm sure Jack can give you a little bit more insight into to what Omagang was like in person. Yeah, we we were there uh, a couple months ago. Um, and this, I can say the space, it's one of the most impressive breweries that I've been to. Honestly, it, it's, uh, it's very well considered every, every detail that you can think of. And it's for as big as it is, it's very comfortable. Um, and we were, we were a bit envious hearing all the stories about their summer happenings and their concert series that they have out. Um, you'll see when you go there, the, the brewery backs up to this, this big lot, which basically turns into rolling hills up to uh to the woods and their property is really large and they do uh camping on site and they have big concerts and as you mentioned being in cooperstown that you know their summer is chock full of baseball related stuff so which it's definitely a place i would have to go back in the summer like, like tom do you like baseball or do you prefer cricket 
I I love baseball in person. Uh, Jack's definitely the the baseball fan. I'll I'll never turn down tickets to to Wrigley any any day of the week. But, you know, I I, I would love to actually go back and and see a cricket match, uh, you know, in London or something at one of the old, old grounds. But. No, it's uh, it's been a long, long time since I watched cricket. How about how about uh, football? Who's your team? Oh, you, you might hate. Oh, this year you won't. Uh, I'm I've always been a I've always been a Man U fan. Um, oh, no. I grew up. I've oh, grown up in okay, Wales. that's the end know, of the interview. Know, that's the end of the interview. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this, this year we finished sixth, so you, you know there's there's no no reason to be uh you know to we have nothing to be proud of this year, but. No, it's uh, growing up in Wales. There were there were no Welsh teams in the Premiership back then, so I had to pick one. I got a chance to go to a match here when I was, you know, a kid, and just fell in love from there. Well, we, I, I I was born in uh, Worthing, which is about ten miles from Brighton, and so Brighton is is really my home team. But unfortunately, Brighton weren't in the Premier League when they were on the TV over here, so I had to pick a team that was and so my family's from north london uh up in tottenham so of course i picked spurs and if you guys aren't doing anything for the champions league final come on out to riverlands brewing out in saint charles and if i have my bell here i would ring it we have we have a thing called the uh, sponsors bell whenever we mention a uh, uh, a brewery that we really like so riverlands there we go i got the sponsors bell in um <laughs> Uh, one of the uh, brewers out there and, and partners and owners is a Spurs fan, so we're going to do a Spurs party when they uh, try and beat Liverpool. I hope they well, do. I really, really hope they do. <laughs> All right, back to back to um, beer, and I think actually before we uh, before we go any further, um, it's time to take a quick break. So we'll do that, come back, and then we'll talk about what we're drinking. In our conversation with the guys from The Hot Review, uh, we have Jack Mel Downey and uh, Tom White on the line with us. want to find out what you guys are drinking because on your website, and I know obviously websites tend to get out of date really quickly, um, especially those bios that you put at the back. Um, at the back there, it says, Jack, you're drinking Saisons and Lagers, and Tom, you're drinking, well, you have in hand Half Acre Daisy Cutter. Um, but first, before we find out what you're drinking now, Ken, what are you drinking? Well, I've got uh, Avery's The Reverend. Um, it's a, a 10% quad, and I was going to drink something light because it's nice and warm out today, but I got stuck cleaning beer lines today. I got home late, and the beers I put in the fridge aren't cold yet, so this was cold in there. <laughs> hey, it's a classic from Avery. That's I made my choice. <laughs> <laughs> and um and i'm in my effort to try and um impress the cicerone i am drinking um a lambic which is the lindemann's farrow lambic which is uh their their beer made with uh brown well brown sugar i think it is and uh it is an absolutely excellent beer and i would go for it every time tom what's your opinion of our beers that we're drinking and what are you drinking 
I, I, I'll preface this by saying that, uh, you know, I, I will drink almost any beer. I am that certainly not above drinking. I think you mentioned, uh, our, our, uh, Detroit friend drinking Strohs. I, I've definitely <laughs> had a few of those since I moved to Michigan. So, uh, no, no judgment on anything you're drinking, but those do sound, uh, pretty fantastic. Um, I, I'm actually drinking one of my own. You, you caught me, uh, I'm not just saying this. I actually have a can of, uh, collective arts jam up the mash open right now before, before I called in here, I was sitting on my deck and, uh, it's a, it's a great dry hop sour. That's you know really good in the summer. So that's what I'm enjoying right now. What, what are you drinking again? Wh- who's the name? It's, it's called collective arts. And it's the brewery. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Had to give it the sponsor's bell. There, there you go. go. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to uh, I'll talk to my marketing team. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, no, great beer though. Uh, excellent. I'll uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later. Then maybe because um, I'd be very interested to find out about what Canada has to offer um, in the way of beers. Um, Jack, you're on the north side of Chicago. You must be drinking a Chicago beer. I'm ashamed to say that I am not, which um, is pretty common for for being at home. To be honest, I we've been fortunate enough to get a lot of beer sent to us from uh, from friends and other breweries. So I'm actually drinking a beer from a brewery that will be at our event by chance here, um, Grist House, out of Pittsburgh, and it's a pilsner called Outrun Cowboy, which I can't speak to why it's called that or why there is outer space and mountains on the on the label, but it's a good beer so far. Um, Ken, you, you, you've you noticed a, a rise in pilsners and lagers of recent, right? I hear a lot of people talking about those being, and, and especially Vienna lager. They want to make it the next big thing, but it's it's still all about hazies and milkshakes and pastry stouts right now. So let's talk a little bit about that then. Um, so... The trend is definitely seems to be hazy and milkshake IPAs. Uh, we were at uh, Beer Under Glass, and <laughs> Ken called it Hazy Fest because everybody had a hazy beer, including Church Street, who is our other co-host, one of the brewers there, Chuck Fort. He, um, they, they brew kind of classic styles, but um, they've they brewed a hazy like, called like Juicy. Yeah, pardon. <laughs> I said the classics, like like the like Hazy, yeah. <laughs> so, um, which one of you wants to comment on this trend and and give us your your opinions? Don't remember, we're on the internet. You can say anything you bloody well want to. <laughs> I think this is a Tom question, man. Uh, yeah, Jack, Jack and I have certainly had our fair share of discussions on this front. So, um, I, I'm of the opinion that you know it. To be honest, it is what it is. I don't think these beers are, I don't think it's a fad enough that it's, you know, like, like we've seen with some, you know, like I think a perfect example is the brood IPA that was everywhere for a couple months and now you barely see them again. And, and, and that's not to say that those beers are bad. It's just that the market didn't, you know, didn't warrant keeping them around for as long as they have. Whereas, you know, the whole hazy side of things where you're putting lactose and everything or, or, or not doing that and just doing a, you know, quote unquote classic New England style IPA is, has sort of over the last couple of years really proven itself. So I think that if you like them, drink them. If you don't, there's plenty of other non hazy stuff out there for you to enjoy that. Uh, I think Jack can probably, you know, speak more to 
all the trends that we see breweries opening where that's all they do. But uh, I, I enjoy them and, you know, I certainly, it's not all I drink. Um, there's plenty of other options out there. What do you think the attraction is to these? Uh, I, in my opinion, you know, that, you know, my brewery makes, makes some hazy IPAs and, and the way that, you know, people get really attracted to them is because they are, they, they smell great, right? Like they have this big citrus floral aroma, depending on the hops you're putting in them. Uh, but they're not bitter, you know, they, they have that, that great IPA aroma, but just don't have that, you know, frankly, for a lot of people is an acquired taste of that, that bitter finish on an IPA. So, uh, generally I think that's, that's the, uh, appeal to it. Now, once you get into things like adding lactose and every kind of fruit under the sun, then you kind of lose me a little bit on those because they tend to be overly sweet, but it's, uh, you know, there's there's a drinker out there for it. I think the market's proven that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess um, I'm just wondering, is it the demograph the demograph is that the right word? <laughs> yeah, the demographics of the people who are drinking it because I I seem to find that it's the entry point for a lot of people, and I, and I call it almost you know orange juice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think. Uh, I, sorry, I'll just I'll just say then, Jack, you jump in. I think there there's almost like two different kinds of things we're talking about, though, right? Like there's the there's the New England style IPA, which is a just an IPA that doesn't finish bitter and is hazy, and then there's the the other extreme end of that, which is this lactose bomb orange juice, like you're talking about. Mm. They're very very different beers, but they tend to get grouped into the same thing. But they re- they really don't you know, they don't taste like each other at all. So, uh, I, I think there's, I think what you're getting at is probably more of the, you know, the extreme, almost sweet, uh, fruit bomb beers that we see so, so much nowadays. Yeah. Um, Ken, what <laughs> you, you just brewed one, right? How did that go down? Well, I, I've kind of resisted brewing them because I thought they were unfinished beers, but I attended a seminar at CB at the craft Brewers conference this year that, uh, they centrifuged a hazy and took most of the solids out of it and tested it. And there's no, there, there's virtually no yeast in the haze. It's uh, hop components and, and, uh, it's combining with components in the malt and the yeast and that, and they proved that that is crucial to the, uh, to the aroma. The other thing is that it's all, it's all beer ingredients in there. So, you know, I, I kind of am against the, uh, I'm not kind of against it. I, I don't believe in putting things in your beer, like, you know, breakfast cereal and donuts and stuff. Yeah. I, I think if you want to make a, a beer that tastes like that, then you take the elements of that, but still you use wholesome ingredients, identifiable ingredients and keep the preservatives and all the other crap out of there. But, you know, a New England IPA is just beer ingredients, just right, the four base ingredients, you know, with the water kind of treated a little different and then, uh, you know, no bittering hops. So, you know, I, I've been having fun playing with that and trying to figure out if I can use this Voskovic yeast. And I, I brewed one and tapped it in six days. It was incredible. But I've, I've been having fun playing with it. I'm going to try the uh, London Ale 3 yeast. And see if I can get more of a more of a fruit character out of it, rather than you know like a tropical fruit, rather than citrus, which is what the the first two I've done has come out 
I'm not against them by any means. And, and I think even the milkshake IPAs, that it's bringing new people into the beer world, which we need. And, and I kind of equate it with the, with dessert wines, you know, I mean, what kind of wine did you start with? If you drank wine, you, you probably didn't start with a big chewy cab that's loaded with tannins, you know, you probably started with the dessert wine. And then as you got into it, you progressed and moved through the, the, the whites, got into sweet reds and then moved to drier reds. If you really like, them. I kind of equate it to that. And so there's nothing wrong with them from that perspective. We've been putting lactose and stouts for years, so what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I, so go ahead, this, Jack. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say to that because that, that exact sentiment actually came up last night. Um, I was at Goose Island um, celebrating their new brewmaster, and you know he's he's a little more traditional, like even in the IPA realm, like things that are malt malt forward, um, but knows. You know, you kind of you have to be open to what there is and what what the market dictates to to a sense. Because, like you said, if if it means bringing someone else into beer, there's a good chance that person's not going to spend the next thirty years of their life drinking forty dollar sixteen ounce cans of you know lactose pineapple sugar or whatever. Like <laughs> the the thing is, and I, I have to make the same argument with my dad a lot of times and he's, he's not even an IPA drinker. So he, he's stuck in lager and in snow land and perpetuity. But when a beer comes up and I'm like, try this and you know, or try that, or are you even open to this? Because the reality is just because it's not your personal preference, beer is for ingredients. So unfortunately, as long as those four things are in there, the argument kind of set aside whether or not, beer or not so yeah and I, while I, it's certainly not i was gonna say it's not my style but and i, I don't think that some of these styles are going to be around forever but if it means bringing new people in and kind of grabbing their attention a little bit from the spirits world or the wine world even a little bit that's that's good from here so i guess um my uh, my my question to you then jack and and then i'll follow up with tom is so what is your style of preference? What really, you know, hits your bells? Um, you know, I, I will say I still always come back to, like, the, the more floral or grassy IPAs. And I like stuff that's a lot drier. So um, that might be because I kind of cut my teeth on Chicago beers by way of Half Acre, and that's kind of their, their trademark. But mm-hmm. I, to me... I love that. I'll always be in the mood for that. And Tom, what about you? Uh, I tend to be a, a very sort of promiscuous drinker. I, uh, you know, last night I had, you know, very much what, what Jack's referring to, like a very citrus forward IPA. But, you know, at this time of year, I'm drinking a whole lot of, whole lot of sours. Love the, you know, kind of what you're drinking right now, the, the you know, Lambics and the, the more serious sours. But I also just love a, you know, go kettle, kettle sour in a can you know i love that dogfish head uh i forget the name of it the lime one that they do and some of the stuff that we make as well so it, it's really just the a seasonal approach for me a lot of the time you you mean sam dog adams <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's the guy <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um so obviously tom you you've uh, been making and tasting beers quite a bit you know what you're talking about because you are a Cicerone. 
Can you tell us a little bit about how you became, how you wanted to do that and what that journey is? Because I understand it's quite rigorous. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll, again, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I, it, you know, I'm flattered by, by all the, you know, the, the compliments for sure, but I, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface of, you know, what beer knowledge is and what, what the Cicerone program is. Even I, I've been lucky enough to know three master Cicerones and I feel like I, you know, I know like the first page of their, of their book that they could write, you know, it's very, the, the amount of info out there is incredible. But in terms of what, what I did, I, I think Jack, Nick and I all sort of took the, uh, certified beer server, which is level one of the Cicerone program, uh, a long time ago now, must, must've been near to when we started the hop review. So maybe about, I don't know, six years ago or so. But I, you know, my, my passion has, has always been to try and figure out a way to, to get into the beer industry and do it full time, uh, with, you know, which is different to the, to the other two guys. So I have been, you know, and I thought a good tool to do that would be to pursue certified, which is the next level. So it is quite a bit more of a commitment. Uh, certainly with the beer server, I think the three of us, you know, just, you know, looked over some notes and you take it online and it's a, it's a fairly quick process. If you have, you know, most people listening to this podcast, I'm sure could, could pass it with, with pretty minimal, um, studying. But then the next level, uh, it's definitely, uh, requires, uh, a lot more time invested into it. So, uh, that one, the process is that you sign up for the test. I signed up about six months before, uh, it really allowed me to sort of create a deadline for myself to, to create, uh, to, to, uh, study for it. Um, I bought some study materials, which you can find online. There's a lot of different resources. They also provide you with a reading list as well. Um, I downloaded some flashcards, but it would, in general, it ended up being about six months of studying, probably about three or four months of really serious studying. And that wildly varies for people. I know people who have taken it and, you know, only studied for a month. I know people who say they've studied for a year. It, it really just depends on your, on your background knowledge. And I'm certainly no great test taker either, but the test itself, I was there. I'm a slow test taker. So I was there for about six hours. It's three parts. Uh, the longest part being a written exam. Uh, you do a tasting exam where you're uh, tasting through off flavors uh, and also matching styles. And then you do a, a very short practical exam where uh, my my exam that I was given, and it's a surprise and different for everyone, it was assembling a a uh, tap uh, or, a, you know, the, the faucet of a, uh, of a tap. So uh, that, that part's really quick, but all in all, it tends to be a pretty grueling day. And then about then you get an email that says you passed or you failed and uh you know you if you failed you can you can retake it so i was lucky enough to to pass it the first time and uh it's been it's been good so far have you uh <clears throat> have you seen the uh movie that's out i think currently on prime video called brewmaster which follows um a chap up in milwaukee taking the Cicerone test and uh, really stressing out over it. And then in the end, he fails it. But um, the after, the after. Was he taking the, okay. sorry, I, I have not seen that, but was he taking the master or was he taking the certified? Ah, well, now there, there, I don't know. Um, there's a difference. So tell us what the difference is. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a world of difference. I, I would never dream to compare myself to any of those, uh, the top levels. So there's actually four levels total. Um, 
when I took it, there was only three, but they've since added a level in between my level and the master level called Advanced Cicerone. Uh, there's quite a few of them popping up now. Uh, it's only been running for, I think, two or three years at this point. Uh, very, that, that's a, that's a pretty significant step up, though I admittedly know the least about that exam because it is pretty new. Uh, but the master exam, uh, you can read, a, uh, an interview that we did, uh, with Jason Pratt on the Hop Review a couple years ago. He is the master Cicerone at Miller Coors. Um, he speak, he spoke to us a lot about some of the processes he took, like, you know, really just next level things. Like he would go to Whole Foods and, go buy spices from, you know, their spice uh, aisle and just go and, you know, smell and memorize those smells so that when he was being interviewed um, in front of this panel, which they have to do for master, he would be able to name certain uh, aromas and flavors that, you know, most people would never think of to associate with beer. So it's just a whole other level of knowledge that, uh, you know, that you have to get to for, for that. That's why there's only, I think there might be 12 or 13 in the world now. Yeah, um, so I, really not a, not an easy thing to do. I, I think you're right. I think it was the master Cicerone because, you know, he was really stressing out. And, and that chap you talked about from Miller Coors, what was his name? Uh, Jason Pratt. Jason Pratt. I'm sure he's in that um, because, um, you know, it's kind of like the surprising piece that they have somebody from Miller Coors or what are they? Are they Miller Coors now? They are, right? I, I, I haven't drunk their beer for a while. Um, <laughs> I think um, that whatever level you've done, you, you've done more than me. And, I, and you talked about the CBS, um, and I took that sample test online and said, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I can do that. You know, got 100% on that. But then <laughs> I'm sure if I come to take it, I'll probably fail miserably. But uh, Ken, do you want to be a master Cicerone? Well, sure. Why not? <laughs> Sounds like a good place I, to. I, oh, go. I, <laughs> Sorry, go on. Honestly, I've 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 not done that. I studied twice to to do the the BJCP, the Beer Judge Certification Program, once twenty years ago and once about eight years ago. And I never took the test, and I don't feel the need to. I I'm a brewer, and uh, I mean that alone. I, I I brew all these styles. I I judge competitions and homebrew competitions and. I don't feel the need to add that to my to my qualifications, I guess. But yeah, it's certainly. Sorry to interrupt. I was saying it's certainly focused. The Cicerone exam is certainly focused on the. It's more applicable to the sales production, or excuse me, the sales and marketing, and uh, the just the general knowledge side than it is to the brewer side. So yeah, I totally agree. A lot of people just don't have any need to take that exam by by any means. All right. Well. Um you don't need to either, Ken. I like your beer. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. We'll come back, and then I've got two or three um, questions that are going to stump them, I'm sure. Um, but let's come back in a minute. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, you have an archive of astounding interviews with brewing stars. So I'm going to ask, you know, uh, first of all, I'll start with uh, Jack. Jack, what was your favorite interview? Oh, gosh. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I have a single favorite that stands out. We've had, we've had a lot that 
have certainly been memorable, but I would say one that Tom and I did a little bit early on that was probably, um, you know, it was certainly somebody on our, our bucket list of people we were hoping to interview at any point, and we got to chat with them a little early, uh, was Tony McGee at Lagunitas, and that was certainly an experience. And, um, you know, we, you when we talk to people, you kind of, you see all, all versions of, uh, like difficulty of access to some people. And, you know, when you're talking about a brewery that big, it, it was, it was a lot of layers to get through. So it kind of felt a little extra special once we finally were able to steal some time from him. And, um, you know, he, he was very, uh, the hospitality was great. He, he stuck around with us for a while. We got to pour way too many beers with him. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was definitely a memorable, memorable interview. Funny that, you know, we definitely went on a long tangent at the time about not selling out. And then it wasn't much longer after we talked to him that they did sell out. So you never know. But um, and, that was definitely one that, that stood, stood out for me. And, and, of course, now they're brewing things other than IPAs. So that's uh, <laughs> that's another change in yeah. Magnetis, right? Tom, what about you? Yeah. They, yeah, uh, I was just actually while while we were chatting, while Jack was going there, I was kind of flipping through our interviews, and there's been there's been definitely a few highlights. Like it was great talking to Ed from Mars, and we got a chance to speak to you know Sam Kellagioni from from Dogfish, and hmm. that was that was pretty incredible too. But but I, I'd have to say the one that I always remember the most is probably our hundredth interview, uh, which was with kind of my butcher's last name here, Mike Shallow from Pipeworks. Uh, uh, mostly because he, he literally just, he's the barrel master. He, he was like their, I forget his official title. I think it was seller master or something like that. He was basically the guy who is responsible for all, every barrel aged beer you've had in the last, I don't know how many years he's the guy who's done it and they do some pretty spectacular things. So he just walked us around. We, we chatted and, uh, what he walked us around their, their cellar and he kept pulling nails out of, uh, barrels and pouring things that I don't even know what we drank that day, but there were some pretty, pretty incredible beers coming out of those barrels. So, uh, that, that definitely is one that sticks in my mind. And of course you think of Pipeworks as being the, uh, brewery that never does anything twice, right? Uh, that, that was certainly their, um, their approach for a while. Um, thankfully they do brew some of the good stuff. Repeatedly now. Well, and, <laughs> and speaking of different beers, um, I've, I finished my Lambic, so I had to crack open something else. See if you can guess what I got here when I see I just cracked open that from the can. And it's a very traditional. I can tell. <laughs> you know, when I, lived in, when I lived in Michigan and when I first came over here, I did drink Stroh's because I thought it was the best um, of the domestic beers. <laughs> Interesting. But actually, no, I'm, I'm drinking a Founders Centennial IPA. Which uh, oh, wow. <laughs> you would know that obviously being in Grand Rapids, I, I think it's an absolute classic, and it's an IPA that I think is an IPA. Piney, uh, beautiful color, delicious bitterness. Um, it's just all around good stuff. Ken, did you crack another one open? I'm still working on my ten percent quad here. Oh, for God's sake, uh, Ken! Come on, man, you're way behind. What's going on? So before you ask about the interviews, I got to mm. tell you, I, I'm. The hop review is new to me, and it's not that I haven't heard of it. It's just, it's, you know, I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts and, and uh, 
read a whole lot of blogs, but I'm pay, I was paging through that. I mean, the, the thing that strikes me the most on this website are these interviews. And I see a bunch of friends on here like Brian Pavola and, and Mark Hedrick. There's Alex Lovingood's on here, the Katie Long, you know, all, all these local people are really cool. I can't wait to listen to some of these interviews. Are, are these recordings? They're, they're audio? They're, they're all actually written. So they're, they're, you gotta, you gotta earn them, unfortunately, a little bit. But the one I've got to say, the one I'm most interested in checking out is the uh, Mike Dicka. What? He, that, is he yeah. a brewer? <laughs> no, that, that was, uh, that was maybe our biggest outlier as far as uh, people in the industry. Obviously he, he's not in the industry, but we were at, you guys at the time we were um, working with them to kind of promote and cover the fact that he was brewing a beer with Big Al for um, the Chicago Beer Fest. So that was a uh, pretty, in fact, entirely unbeer related when we got to chatting because he no longer drinks. But um, it was certainly interesting to, to chat with him, albeit briefly. <laughs> he doesn't drink much, he spills most of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> he also gave us cigars as well. So, oh, you know, that was wow. pretty cool. We got a cigar from the coach. Hey, the coach. I tell you, um, that was one of my highlights of coming over here five years later after I came over. The Bears won the Super Bowl. <coughs> I'm thinking about it now and I'm getting all choked up here. But <laughs> um, <laughs> that must have been something uh, to actually talk to uh, somebody outside of the beer industry. And then just chat uh, about anything and everything. So, my question to you guys is: How the hell do you think of questions to ask people so it doesn't get repetitive? That's kind of my problem here on the podcast. You know, we go around to a lot of breweries, and I'm trying to get out to a few of the newer ones, or more grassroots ones, but to you know, ask the same questions. I want to try and find some way to ask them better. Give me some tips, guys. Yeah, it's tricky. Uh, I think you know, we we definitely lean more towards the, the conversational approach to our interviews. So um, while it it puts a little more work on our end uh, when we're formatting them, it it lets some of the questions kind of come up on their own a little more organically when we when we are chatting. But we definitely, I think we pride ourselves on on researching the subject and who we're talking to, you know, as well as we can before we go in there and not necessarily keep it all, you know, how did you get in here? And then, you know, cause the truth is eight out of 10 people were home brewers yeah. and that's how they got into beer. <laughs> yeah, <So>. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's fun to find, you know, like peel back the layers and find stuff that is a little more unique to just who they are and what their interests are beer related or otherwise, which Thankfully, we've been able to talk to such a wide range of people that some of that stuff just kind of comes uh, from the conversation, which is great. And uh, so consequently, uh, I'll have to think of some questions to peel back the layers for you guys. Uh, why isn't Nick with you? Come on, what's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> Nick, uh, he, he's the one who's been traveling the most, actually, for, for his job lately. So he's probably in California, I would guess, at the moment, drinking something really, really tasty. What, what, so is, uh, we, we, what does he do? Uh, he actually does market research for uh, the auto industry, so they go out and uh, and do like in-person testing and focus group stuff with uh, vehicle features and test drives. Between Tom and Nick, 
your guys' travel schedules are pretty nutty, for my opinion, for work. So I'm always jealous of seeing where you, where they're drinking and what state they're in at any given time. <laughs> and you mean which U.S. state, not which state of mine, right? Uh, both, both. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Tom, back to you then. Tell us a little bit more about the, what was it, Collective Arts? Is that right? Yeah. So yep. they're in Toronto, yeah, and you are, in, and are you selling the beer down here in the states? Yeah. So, so the brewery's in Hamilton, Ontario, which is about forty-five minutes west of Toronto, kind of near, just north of Niagara Falls, if you know the area at all. I'm uh, going to know it because so, I'm going to be staying in Niagara Falls. <laughs> all right. Well, you got to come by the tap room. We'll we'll hook you up for sure. Oh, but, bloody uh, right. No, oh. it's uh, yeah. No, it's um, it, it's so the. The brewery is uh, based, obviously, in Canada. We, we distribute soon to be uh, in all the provinces, you know, coast to coast in Canada. Uh, and we're actually in about, I think it's something like 18 states now. It's, it's expanding so quickly. We're, you know, one of the fastest growing breweries in, in, the, in North America, actually. I think we did the, we crunched the numbers and I think, uh, you know, had, if we were a member of the U.S. Brewers Association, we'd fall right around that number 50 mark on that list that they released recently. So definitely uh, rapidly expanding. But as far as my role, I just represent the brewery in the Midwest. So as of uh, until very recently, I was the, the only person who wasn't uh, either in Canada or on the East Coast. Okay, so you do import into the U.S. What are the restrictions on that? And how can I avoid getting strip searched at the Canadian border when I bring back beers? <laughs> uh, no, you'll be you'll be okay as long as you know as long as you're not bringing a truckload over. You, you should be okay. Just tell them it's for your your personal consumption and not you're not selling it or anything. But uh, no, we you know we that's one of the things I think that's made us you know really successful in the U.S. is you know, other than having, you know, good beer and good packaging is the fact that we've been one of the first breweries who's really been able to to figure out how to, you know, all the logistics of shipping across an international border. I mean, Hamilton's only about, I think it's, I forget the exact distance, about six hours, seven hours or so from Chicago. But, you know, you have that, that huge hurdle of the, of the customs border uh, in between. So being able to master that, um, has been, you know, a, a huge win for us over the six years that we've been doing it. What uh, what style beers are you doing? Are you doing the traditionals? Is there a difference between the USA beers and the Canadian beers? Because my impression is Unibrew, really high alcohol, malt liquor type things. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there certainly, I mean, a brewery like Unibrew is, is, is a lot of people's impression of Canadian beer. And then you, obviously you have all the macros like the you know, the Molsons and the, the Labats of the world. So half of my battle is just sort of, you know, trying to explain to people that that's not everything that Canadian beer is there. You know, my, my beer has more in common with the Pipeworks or a half acre than it does with any of those guys. So style wise, we're, we're all over the map. We, we certainly are doing uh, some trendier stuff. We're doing some more classic IPAs as well. Uh, we have a lager finally coming out, uh, you know, eventually here uh, this year. So it's been, you know, it's definitely something we're pretty adaptable. We, we adapt to, you know, we're going to sell beer that sells. And also we have some, you know, sort of for us legacy beers uh, that, have, that have been around since the early days as well. So are they available well, in Illinois? Yes, they are. Yeah, they, you can, uh, 
Sorry, I don't mean to turn this into a sales pitch, but you can buy them. Uh, hey, I'm asking the questions. Them. Come on, you you do your sales pitch, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to hear that bell at the end. Of it. Um, no, you can, you can. Uh, there you go. Uh, no, you can get them at Binnie's. You can get them at your your local bottle shop. Um, just look for cans that have rotational art on them. Check out the website. See what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's a pretty pretty cool spin uh, on on packaging, and then of course. Uh, you know the liquid being really solid as well, so definitely look out for it next time you're you're shopping in Illinois. So what would uh, I see? Actually, I whilst you were talking, I was looking it up on beer menus. Um, Ken, you and I got to go down to Foremost Liquors in Villa Park, and then we can uh, find some of this beer. Um, Collective Arts Collective Project IPA Number Six apparently is there. So <laughs> um, uh, that's not great. Uh, I hope that's out of date because that shouldn't be there, but we'll discuss that offline. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Well, that's okay. So that brings up something. Um, so um, Ken and I had a conversation about this on a podcast uh, a while back, and that is um, the Best Buy dates. And we, well, I have often come across beers that are from breweries that have gone out of existence, uh, and they're still on the shelves of some of the bigger box stores. What's your opinion, and maybe we can bring Jack in on this, what's your opinion of how people should buy beer so that they know it's fresh? And that leads us, of course, into your ultra-fresh beer um, festival coming up. Jack? Yeah, I think uh, transparency with the dating codes and the fact that more breweries are going that way is obviously only beneficial to the consumer and I think a necessity, honestly, because I don't. I don't want to mistakenly grab a beer that doesn't have a date code and come to find out it's something that had been sitting on the shelf for 9, 10, 12 months. So I, I'm i definitely glad to see that more breweries are, are doing that. Um, and I think it's just one of those things that as a beer purchaser, you need to remind yourself that when you're going to the store, it's worth tipping the can over or, or the bottle and kind of checking to see if there's a date code and decide from there. But fresh is best. And I think uh, Tom and I definitely have tried to champion that and, and that's just kind of how we drink anyway we hope to to lean towards whatever's fresher yeah i think there's there's certainly a lot of obsession with that in today's market and and as jack said we're we are obsessed with that i am obsessed with that through through my job as well making sure that my beer is fresh but you know there, there's also it also falls on sometimes there can be a lot there can be too much obsession with that in terms of a consumer so if you go to a you know, you go to your beer store and there is, you know, a cooler that has, you know, there, there are some people that you see who they won't even pick up beer that's over a week old, which I'm saying this as someone who runs a festival that is championing beer that is less than a week old. But if it's treated right, uh, there are there's certainly there's certainly no reason to to not try a beer from a store that's like that. We just think that from our from our perspective of doing this festival that there is there's so much value in showcasing these local breweries and this year outside of the local realm that are really value that but that's not also not to detract from the fact that you know a two-week-old beer is going to be just fine like there's no reason for you to to yell at your your barkeep if they're the beers you know more than a week old i mean and obviously it's style dependent you, you don't want an idea that's several months old but if you came across a farmhouse ale or a sedan or a stout of a certain caliber, obviously those things um, 
tend to have a better shelf life. Um, and I know a very good I know a I, very good imperial stout called uh, Ukrainian Crusher that that lasts forever, right, Ken? Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, that's my beer. But I, I was going to say, um, you know, in the in the I've been in this craft beer thing for a long time. I started home brewing in '94, and uh, my first brewery I I worked for was opened in '99. And at that time, like the early 2000s, was a downturn in the in the craft beer world. Back there, back then, it was called the microbrewery world. But I think what led to that was, I mean, I remember going to the store and you'd pick up a six or a twelve pack and you take it home and it was oxidized like crazy. It was terrible, and it was because there were there were beers sitting on shelves for a long time. And I think we're getting back to that. And so the day codes are crucial. Uh, we, I think the industry experienced a downturn because of the, the bad beer on the shelf. So you, you stopped trying the new stuff, the unknown stuff, and you went back to the safe things. Those date codes are crucial, you know, to, to avoid the, a similar thing where, you know, you get newer people into the, into the market and they start, you know, they're trying some of the new local stuff and it's, and it's been on the, I mean, I seriously have heard people tell me about beers IPAs and stuff that have been on the shelf for three years. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm going to name and shame Angelo Caputo markets in the uh, suburbs. Do not buy beer from them. They do not know what the hell beer is. Woodman's, yeah, they're pretty good. But go to your local uh, um, st- stores like the beer seller here in uh, Glen Allen, open bottle, crafted, I think. Uh, where else? Uh, where else do you know that that really look after the? I beer? don't think you can write off all the big chains though, because I I thought one of the reasons I didn't I stopped buying beer at at, at Jewel was because I thought mm-hmm. the beer's old there. The, a couple of days ago, I went there with my wife and I said, you know, I'm just going to go check out the beer section. And I went over there and all the IPAs were were within a couple months, a month or so, of being uh, packaged, and. Um, so I, I, I think some of the big big stores are learning. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't write them all off. So t- I think Jewel's a good example because uh, they, they've done, at least what I've, I've noticed in the last couple of years, they've done a good job of uh, pretty dramatically lowering prices before the beer is about to kind of hit its, you know, in anticipation of the beer not being in its prime, which I think is the retailer's responsibility, really. And there are too many small shops, you know, I, I live in North Center, and we have our corner shop that has a really good cooler selection of beer that turns over, and it's people going and getting stuff for barbecues, but then they've got their shelf of you know, more bombers than you probably thought still were being made at the moment. It's, it's on the retailer, but I think the, the more that consumers are aware of it, they're, they're going to start driving those decisions for the retailer. I, let's, uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about Ultra Fresh, which really is what it's all about ultra fresh we'll take a break ultra fresh who wants to talk about ultra fresh tom so we started uh ultra fresh uh a perfect transition there from our last conversation so uh Ultra Fresh is our festival, which features beer from previously local only, but this year for the first time, uh, breweries outside of the Chicagoland area 
Uh, it features beer from them that's packaged within one week of the event date, which this year is June 29th. Uh, the, the whole concept of that, as, as you guys well know, is showcasing what fresh beer is all about. So having the, you know, showing the benefits of, of what that beer can be. Um, this year it is at the, uh, ICNC, um, Jack can speak more to that cause it's, it's, uh, literally right outside of his, uh, his studio door there, but, um, it's basically in West town in Chicago. And yeah, we'll have, I believe the account is about 27, 28. Uh, it actually just changed today. We added one more brewery, uh, breweries, mostly local. And then some from, from further afoot, uh, all pouring that ultra fresh beer. What, what is ICNC? Uh, ICNC is the, uh, industrial council of near West Chicago, which is uh, a very long way of saying they're a small business incubator, but they mostly deal with, um, small business manufacturing. So they have what's somewhat of a campus over if you're familiar where um with where Reinhall distillery is or metric coffee. No, um, I, I, oh. I don't go downtown. It's it's <laughs> full of nasty people, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I no, can't I'm back not. you on that one. But no. <laughs> uh, that's for the grown podcast, Phil. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is this is why we do a suburban podcast because you guys get all the pub down there. You got guys like uh, uh, Craig and uh, the other guy doing ABV Chicago. Uh, we got to mm-hmm. give some pub to us uh, suburban guys. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're we're suburban fans too, and uh, whenever we can get out there, I should say, I, not having a car that kind of that hinders me most of the time. But yeah, that so. The ICNC is, is a new uh, a new venue for us this year. We previously the last two years did that right way signs, which is a pretty famous old school sign painter shop in Chicago in Bucktown, just up Damon from from where we'll be this year. But yeah, it's uh, they focus on uh, their small business incubator, like I mentioned. But they have a great outdoor area that we're going to be uh, taking advantage of, and it happens to be a building where the Hopper View and my design studio exist. So. The convenience factor is certainly there for us. How coincidental. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Tom, you're coming in from Grand Rapids for that, I'm assuming, then. Um, if somebody was going out to Grand Rapids, where would you advise them to go for fresh beer? Oh, wow. So so I, I'll preface this by saying I've lived here for almost exactly a month now. So I am oh, clearly an expert in, in all things Grand Rapids. But, uh, you know, I mean – it's uh it's the obvious ones that people know i mean founders owns this city there are there i don't know if you've been out here but their space is just you know ridiculously huge uh but then you know there's a lot of good small ones too um got a chance to check out city built recently i've been riding my bike around i've heard good things about a lot of other smaller breweries like i'm planning on checking out a brewery called creston brewing uh, in the next few days here. And then uh, Brewery Vivant, uh, which is also available in Illinois, is just down the street from me as well. And they make some really good kind of farmhouse-inspired beers as well. So uh, there's definitely a good diverse mix. And uh, Oh, and, and the other one that I, I'm going to be riding my bike to soon is going to be uh, Speciation. So I know it sounds like a couple of you are sour fans, that they're definitely the one of the kings of sours in, in the state of Michigan, for sure. DC Nation? No, speciation with an S. I love that you're biking to breweries, dude. I'm a biker too. 
Yeah, that's the best way to go see breweries, right? Especially, you know, in a state that that certainly is not uh, at the pinnacle of public transportation. It's uh, it's a great way to do it. And in Chicago, at least you can get a train back, but that's not an option here. So getting the bike is the best way. Uh, unless you have a wife who is a non-drinker. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's convenient. Yeah, well, yeah, it's nice. I have a, but then I have to get her out to the breweries. Oh, we're going to another brewery. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about the ultra, ultra fresh beers. How are they all packaged? Are they all canned so, or they kegged? Or, or do you have any real ale in that? Uh, yeah, so the majority of them are going to be kegged. Uh, we'll have, a, we'll have I, think, I think we're looking at one uh, brewery, um, and you can check out the full brewery list that we announced recently, but I think one of them is going to be doing cans. Uh, Jack, correct me if I'm wrong there, but uh, no, no real ale. Actually, that's, that's something that we, honestly, we haven't really considered too much of. You know, before, there, there aren't too many breweries that we know of that are doing that. I don't know if that's something you do yourself, but that could be something to explore in future yeah. for sure. Well, I, I started a little side business called The Frickery, and uh, we, we have um, some casks, and we have equipment that helps keep it cold and, uh, and, and actually deliver uh, CO2 instead of air into the casks as you pour them, so you can pour them for multiple days. But we've been trying to get breweries to, uh, to give us actual cask ale, you know, a- actual real ale, because what most of them are doing are, are putting bright beer into casks and then uh you know that that kind of defeats the purpose of a cask ale but if you ask them most breweries will do it it's kind of a i know it's an old school (laughs) old school thing it's not the hottest freshest thing but it's actually the freshest beer and it's pretty interesting tasting it as it evolves through the you know from the first taste through the last it kind of changes so it doesn't sound, Tom, like you were a drinker when you were back in the UK. It sounds like you came over here when you were somewhat younger. Yeah, I definitely, you know, definitely had a, a couple beers when I was a kid, but uh, in the, you know, in pubs, but nothing, uh, nothing that I would have appreciated like I would now. But definitely, when I go back, and and Jack actually goes back more than I do to the UK now. You'll he'll have to tell you about that. But uh, he, uh, both of us, I think, enjoy that sort of traditional take on it and a lot of it is especially when you're in the uk is the setting that you usually drink in those in in these you know old pubs as well yeah i think um it's it's really interesting how real ale from my perspective is just kind of in my blood that's what i grew up with unfortunately (laughs) um pints of harvey's sussex um, but how do you, you guys have done a couple of interviews with breweries out there in, in the UK. How do you see the, uh, the UK craft beer scene growing? Because it almost seems like it was going downhill, then camera came along, they saved the real ale, um, and then the American craft brewing industry burgeoned and they went across the Atlantic back again and, and everybody is over there is now doing microbrewing. Yes, it's. And it's definitely been interesting, I think, because uh, a lot of them and, and the folks that we've talked to would readily admit that um, they were inspired or their kind of first foray into what they're doing now with the, the smaller brewers in the UK was because they had something when they were in New York or Philadelphia or Chicago or wherever. Um, and it was kind of the, the American version of the IPA, that, which is funny to think about, obviously, but what the roots of the IPA 
are. Um, but that kind of resurgence was at least can get some credit from uh, American style brewing. You went back for an interview recently. Well, I say recently, but I thought I saw one. Who was that with? Uh, we, I was there. I was in Manchester in February, I think. And we, um, it's not in the interview archive. We did a smaller piece on it, but we, we talked to, uh, a, a brewery called Wander Beyond, which is a really small team. And they were just named, um, breakout brewery of the year in the UK. And, um, to a little surprise, they're doing a lot of the milkshake and pastry style stuff, but it's, to, to your point and to your question, I think, about how fast it's been moving, it's at least since we've kind of been covering it in the last four or five years, it's certainly been night and day, and it's it's crazy. Like how it's moved much faster than it has here, even um, I think even though they, they did get a lot of influence from the styles that, that we're brewing in the U.S. Yeah, I, I, I've seen it grow um, considerably in the last 10 years, and... Uh, there's some great breweries along the south coast. Um, I mentioned Harvey's. They've been there since 1745, and they're still doing great beer. So <laughs> I wish they'd bring it over here. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a final question uh, before we, we wrap this up, and that is, uh, Tom, what do you see as the next trend coming up here? Um, and you obviously have got the advantage of doing both sides of the border. Um, but what do you see the next trend to be? What do you think it's going to be? Well, yeah, I think there, I think there's a lot sort of on our radar, just, just maybe, you know, whether it's going to stick, I, 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 you know, I don't know yet, but I think, you know, what, what Jack and I have been seeing for probably the last year or so that I don't know how, I don't know if it's sort of filtered into the rest of the market yet, but definitely in the city is, is lower ABV. I know we were all, we were all in the session world a few years ago and then it went wildly away from that. Now it's kind of coming back to, to the bloggers and the classic styles and, and, you know, really people appreciating the simple beers again, which has been really refreshing. Uh, Jack and I, or I used to live and Jack still does. I'm ringing the bell for simple beers. (laughs) All right. Very good. Well, carry on. <laughs> well, uh, Jack and I used to live really close to Dovetail, uh, which is one of mm. our, our favorite breweries in the whole city. I, I think I can speak for Jack on that and say that we both really appreciate what they do and what Metropolitan does. And just seeing their uh, acceptance in the city over the last few years has been uh, really, really cool to see. Jack, what do you reckon? Tom kind of stole my response a little bit, but I, <laughs> I think it's... <laughs> What we've seen, you know, a lot of beers that, that have kind of come in the mail to us recently and certainly stuff that I'm personally drawn to are the super low, not necessarily that they need to be, but a lot of beers that happen to be low calorie, which certain brewers are pushing, um, but usually equate to being really low ABV, um, which for someone that we drink, or at least I drink so much away from home, when I am home, I'm, I'm not usually looking to have a seven or eight percent IPA. So I, I kind of appreciate just having something that's like super, super light, easy drinking. Um, so I, I will definitely take more of those. Ken, you, you've got a couple of low ABV beers, right? You do a California common, which, uh, equates to me as a, as an English mild actually. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I did that 
as a uh, party guile beer. Um, so that was the second runnings from uh, from a Russian. Um, was that the Russian Imperial Stout? I can't remember. That's what you told me. Were you drunk at the time? Yeah, I made that a while ago. But I, I always do a second runnings beer, and, and so I have a like about a 3% beer on tap all the time. It, yeah, it's, I love that. I yeah. love it, too. I mean, it's delicious. It's got, you know, crazy character to it. I think we're we're getting to where people are buying lower ABV beers. Like, I, mean, I agree with what you guys are saying, but there's still a lot of people that are, that are dollars or what am I trying to say? Uh, dollars per ABV. <laughs> ABV yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, and and actually, that brings up a good point, Ken, because uh, and in a uh, in a good you know twenty four pack, I mean, you can't go, you can't beat, as far as I'm concerned, going back to Sierra Nevada. I mean, one of the originators of craft beer in this country, and uh, they they produce some great styles that are always going to please somebody. I mean, that's that's a beer that I have in my fridge right now, but like. I like those kind of tried and true standby beers that you know what you're getting, and that's that's the kind of stuff I like to have at home. And you, yeah, meant- speaking of final final questions, we what we always ask people at the end of our interviews what what are you drinking at home that's not yours? And almost without fail, every brewer if they if they don't mention wine or 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 whiskey, which a huge majority of them do. Uh, yeah. They're mentioning the classics, you know, they're mentioning Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and, uh, you know, it, even things like Miller High Life, you know, the, these really like clean old school beers. That's what they're drinking at home. They don't, they're not drinking these lactose, you know, or pastry bomb beers. Um, so I think the industry is starting to follow, or the market is starting to follow what the industry is already drinking at home. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned Sierra, uh, Sierra Nevada. Actually, I mentioned it, didn't I? Um, <laughs> um, you talked about Omegang, and I went to Sierra Nevada in Mills River in uh, North Carolina recently, well, last year, and that has that same, what sounds like the vibe I'm going to get at Omegang, where even though it's a very, very large brewery, they have um, excellent uh, customer relations if you will they know how to to handle the customer and they've got great beers on tap and just because they're big doesn't mean to say that you should you know turn away from them and uh, i think we've seen that ken with goose island here um in in chicago where they've done you know wonderful things even though they are owned by one of the big boys but uh, some of their beers are delicious i'll tell you what follow tim faith their innovation brewer uh, follow him on social media. What he's doing is amazing. He's he's got the job all of us want, man. Uh, listen, guys. Um, Tom from Grand Rapids. Uh, thanks ever so much for spending some time with us um, this evening. Are, are we on the same time zone as you? It's uh, eight oh two no, uh, here. Yeah, no nine oh two here. We're we're right on the other side of in the eastern time zone here. Okay. Hey, uh, go out to Pigeon Hill Brewery in Muskegon. That's where I used to work and live for uh, a good a good uh, 18 months. It was, but they didn't have the brewery there when I was there. So <laughs> tell us what you think. Yeah, we've uh, had a couple things from them. They've been, they've made some, I've had a couple good stouts from them. So I'll definitely make that trip soon. Oh, cool. And um, young uh, Jack, you're out on the north side. Um What's a good brewery to go and see there? And, you know, come out to the suburbs. There is Metra. Yeah. 
Yes, I, I'm a metro proponent, so I'm, I'm definitely out to make that happen. Yeah, I'll come. Um, up, I'll come and pick it, you up. <laughs> there you go. I, I will take you up on that. All um, right. I'm, I'm not too far from the Ravenswood stop, so breweries in our neighborhood, like Tom mentioned, Dovetail, um, Big Isle, Half Acre, obviously, um, and then now uh, I'm a little closer to Metropolitan, which is great because they have a beautiful space, especially with the weather. We did a podcast at Empirical once um, with a, a band called Midwestern. Oh gosh, I've forgotten their name. <laughs> Midwestern Lull, that's it. And uh, they had some great beers at that time. Is that near Ravenswood? Yeah, yeah, they're they're at the northern end, probably. Well, they're actually pretty close to the uh, the, ha- the new Half Acre location up there, but it is on Ravenswood. They all the breweries are expanding, and uh, in the suburbs here, of course, Pollyanna from Lamont, expanded to Roselle, and now they're expanding out our way to St. Charles. St. Charles is becoming a uh, little focal point of breweries along the Fox River. We're going to have four of them in the near future. So come on out, and we'll do a, we'll do a brewery tour. There we go. Don't need to twist my arm. That's, a, that's good enough for me. <laughs> I'll, yeah, pick, I'll, I'll pick I'll you up also... at uh, the station. No problem. <laughs> All right. And I'd I'd also add too, if if any of you know you guys or, or your listeners as well want to come to Ultra Fresh where we still have tickets on sale, it's at the end of June. Uh it's super easy to get to. I mean it is a from the west suburbs, it is a straight shot metro train to downtown, then a you know, five ten dollar Uber over to West Town. So uh just go to the hop review and uh get to try some suburban breweries, some city breweries, and then some other ones from further afoot as well. And what date is that? June 29th at 5 p.m. I would love to do that. I'm- yes, Ken, you, you went away. Nice. Are you there? I'm oh, you'd love to do it. Oh, okay. On that date. <laughs> I, I am. Really, I really am, wish I could do it. Yeah, I'm getting ready to go out of town to Ontario. So, uh, Tom, you and I need to talk because Hamilton, not only being a great musical, sounds like a good place to go for a brewery. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we'll we'll connect for sure on that. That sounds cool. Um, guys, uh, last um, pub for you guys. Tell us all the details, where they need to go for the hot review and where they need to go for ultra fresh. Uh, we, we keep it pretty simple. Everything is uh, at all our social handles are just the hop review. And then uh, if you head to the com, we've got everything, everything there. Um, homepage you know, our blog feed, which is a bit of everything and our interview archives, which we talked about. So easy to find, dig around. All right. And, and I never did find out Tom, where you were born. You said Wales. That's a big uh, spot. I was, no, I was, I was actually born in Sussex, uh, hey, not hey! Too far, probably from where, where you lived, but I have no memory of it. I was, uh, I was a baby when I left and I moved to, uh, to Wales just outside of Cardiff. And you're a citizen now. I am. Yeah, I have uh, dual citizenship. Yeah. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, except you know, I'm not paying 400 bucks for another British passport. I'm telling you that. <laughs> well, we're all about to get kicked out of the EU, so you know, yeah. we might need another one after that. I was going to ask you, what's That's your opinion whole, on Brexit? <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. All right, um, you guys. Whenever you're out this way, please give us a call. Um, we have lots of great breweries out here. We'll do a trip around. Um, we'll find you some great beers and we'll sit down and chat. 
thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been absolutely great chatting beer, and uh, your hot review uh, website is the place to go. If nobody has, or if you if you're listening to this and you haven't subscribed, you should do because uh, these guys are awesome. So thanks a lot, Tom. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us. Really appreciate it. And thank you, Jack. Yeah, good talking to you guys. Yep. Oh, Ken's there Same. too. Thank you guys. <laughs> yeah, no, I know Ken. All right, thanks. And as we always <laughs> say at the end of the evening, and, and we're not going to be able to clank our glasses, maybe I can do it with a glass, second glass I have here. Um, Ken, it's good night from me. And good night from me. And are you? I forgot. Cheers. What am I supposed to say? No, that's okay. Don't worry about it, Ken. <laughs> now we clank our glasses. There we go. Another clank. Cheers. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Britain Yankee! Britain Yankee! I'll have a pint, Yankee. Go, give us a pint. You got any tetanus? A pint, please, Bob. Give me another pint, please, Bob.